0: This podcast is Challenging Opinions and is presented by William Campbell.
1: Thank you for downloading the Challenging Opinions podcast for December 30th, 2019. I heard one podcast from the BBC a while back with new ideas that intrigued me, so I got in touch with one of the participants to ask if the ideas about race and racism are real, and if they are, what do they mean?
0: Challenging Opinions is the podcast where ideas are tested whether you are left or right, conservative or progressive, devout or sceptic. What matters is the strength of your argument, not the strength of your voice.
1: Here's what we've got coming up for you in this podcast. Occurrences, happenings completely independent of the behaviour, changed whether the behaviour was racist or not.
2: If your definition of racist is that it's to do with power. That's your
1: definition.
2: Yeah, that is my definition. And it's also also in the books. So you can't have... Racism without a big discrepancy of power relations.
1: That's coming up in a moment, but first I want to say thank you to all of my donors on Patreon. I appreciate everyone who contributes. If you don't know, Patreon is a system that allows people to donate a buck or two per podcast or per month, and that helps me to devote more time to research and to finding interesting guests. If you think that you could do the same as them, there's details on the website and at the end of the show. Back in August, I talked here about the pro-democracy protests, anti-Putin protests in Moscow, and I noted that, compared to the similarly motivated protests in Hong Kong, they were small. People might grumble, but there's no arguing that Putin has very widespread support in Russia, and the protesting was done by a particular well-educated cohort. But it's important to remember that, as well as being small, these protests in Moscow are supported by a particular slice of society. There is a group of well-educated Russians, mostly in Moscow and other large cities, who yearn for democracy and Western-style freedoms. You could call them a young middle class. They travel abroad on holidays, they speak English and other foreign languages, they get their news online from largely independent sources. That last point is important. Television, regular broadcast television, is hugely popular in Russia. It's hugely influential, and it is totally under the thumb of the Kremlin. Just last week, Alisa Yarovskaya, A prominent journalist on a Russian regional TV station in northwest Siberia asked Putin at a press conference why Moscow wasn't supporting a project to build a bridge to link two local towns, a project that the regional governor had proposed. Pretty innocuous, you might think. Not in Russia. By the next day, she was unemployed, saying that she had quit her job rather than be fired. That gives you an idea of the level of dissent tolerated, or rather not tolerated, in Russian TV news. But as I said in August, the young, urban, often well-educated people who are most likely to support democracy often just bypass Kremlin propaganda and get their news online. Often they speak English or some other foreign language, and keep well-informed via foreign news websites. But there might be a roadblock coming on that bypass. This week, the Russian government announced that it had successfully tested what it called RUNET. This is the internet, sort of. The sort of there is important. If you work in a large office, your computer is connected to the internet so you can send email and check websites, right? Not quite. A typical computer in a large office is connected to the company network and that is connected to the internet so you can look up stuff online. So rather than you following a link to say the challenging opinions website and your computer getting the content of that website, an office computer, asks the company server for the Challenging Opinions website, and the server gets that content and passes it on to the user's computer. Or maybe not, if your office blocks the Challenging Opinions website. A lot of employers block porn or social media or job search websites or all sorts of other content. They're allowed to do that because it's their network. But you go home, and unless you put on your own filter, you can access whatever content you want. But not if you live in China, or Iran, or Thailand, or Turkey, or a growing number of countries that block content at the national level. But Russia is going one step further here. As well as setting up what is essentially a gigantic version of a company intranet, where you get selected access to the outside internet, they are forcing telecom companies to comply with the RUNET system, which would allow them to not block the internet, but create a parallel internet system that works only in Russia, and that allows Russians online, but only to view content that originates in Russia. So people would only be able to send and receive emails or other content within Russia. And if you're thinking VPN, they've thought of that too. VPN is a way to encrypt your internet traffic and disguise where it's coming from and going to. Almost all VPN traffic would be totally blocked by Runet. Russia has also introduced a law that requires government-controlled apps to be pre-installed on all smartphones sold in the country. Essentially, what they're doing is not seeking to put their citizens offline. They're seeking the ability to disconnect Russia's online from the West of the World's online. This has been called the splinternet where the internet is still there, but autocracies set up a system whereby websites, messaging systems and so on continue to work, but only the ones that they approve, and only the ones that they can spy on when they want to. The Kremlin has said that this power will only be used in an emergency, but as with most Russian laws, there's no definition of what might constitute an emergency, and no oversight of anyone making that decision. But the real significance of this is the determination of Putin in a country where he already controls the vast majority of the media to eliminate the last vestiges of access to free information.
0: Do you agree? Do you disagree? If you want your point of view heard, email podcast at challengingopinions.com and say what you think.
1: A while back, I heard an edition of the BBC programme Analysis. Now that's a programme that goes into topics behind the news, as they call it. I think it's a fantastic programme. They do a lot of very detailed reporting. But one programme was different to a lot of them that I've heard, and they were exploring a topic called whiteness. And that's something I've heard the word about before, but I don't really know what it's all about. And one of the guests on that show was a person by the name of Steve Garner. He's on the line now. He's a researcher at Cardiff University in the Department of Social Science. And in his bio, he says that he's interested in racialisation and the ways in which it intersects with nation, class and gender in different places at different times. Steve, as you understand it, what is whiteness?
2: Okay, well, I'll give you some background first, William. Mm-hmm. Um, for a long time, the studies of race and ethnicity within social sciences were focused almost exclusively on minority groups, mm-hmm. particularly in North America and Europe. And so the focus was all around how those groups are different from the mainstream groups.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So it was a starting point where you always assume that the norm is white Europeans and everyone else is different. And that's what you're looking at. So with the, the frame of whiteness, you dispense with that um, difference. And you say that all groups in this fiction called race are worth studying to figure out how they relate to each other and how people develop a a sense of their own identity and how race plays a part in that much bigger picture. So it's a shifting away from the the way that was, I guess, the the dominant way of understanding um, social science to do with identities for quite a long time. And in the 1990s, a group of American um, historians started to focus on... The, the period in the late 19th century when lots of European migrant groups came to America, and they put forward the idea that these different groups, although they were nominally um, white Europeans, went through a phase where they were treated as not part of mainstream America. And so, the the idea that you could become white in inverted commas was put forward. And so, um, what we're talking about in relation to whiteness is a process. Quite often. And it's to do with social structures. So for sociologists, it's really important because to say this at the beginning. Otherwise, people won't be able to follow properly that for sociologists, you can understand society through the big patterns of how people relate to each other, outcomes in relation to various resources and things like this. And these are called structures. Mm This is a different way of understanding society than to focus on individuals relating with other individuals all the time, which is more like a psychological um, perspective. Mm -hmm. So what I'm talking about with you today is primarily to do with structures and systems rather than individuals. And I say that because in experience, people hear people talking about whiteness and kind of personalize it and think it's an attack on individual white people, which... It really isn't. It's a, it's a frame to understand society just as frames that look at social class or nationalism or those kinds of things are frames to understand society. Let me pause you there for a second sure.
1: because actually you've done something which I've noticed quite a lot and I've done some background reading on this and listened to uh, various things that I was able to find. Sure. And one of the things that I've noted is that when somebody's asked for a definition of whiteness, usually somebody perhaps who's a university professor who's uh, in a department of social science who's interested in researching it. When they're asked for the definition, it mm-hmm. doesn't come very easily. And very often what you get is a list of things that it isn't. Mm-hmm. Does that suggest to you when there's that difficulty of definition that this is at the very best a contested field but perhaps it's something that is just nebulous and doesn't exist at all
2: well i wouldn't say it doesn't exist at all that's a bit of a leap from saying that something's hard to define
1: okay um no 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 i didn't say that it was hard to define i said that the people who are most interested in it seem to be reluctant to define it
2: well it's not reluctant it's it's i can see what you're you're getting at you
1: with a question steve (laughs) give me give me the back of the envelope definition
2: uh, okay so whiteness well one of the problems is that it covers sorts of different things so I'm going to say the thing that I'm most interested in mm-hmm. so whiteness is um, a description of a social system of power in which groups are racialized into different categories and in which the dominant group is the white group so therefore that system of power is set up
1: okay let me let me repeat that
2: let see got right so whiteness
1: is a racialized i guess you mean racist system of power with white people on top
2: that yes that's one slant on I mean, it i was i was using other terms but that'll do to start us off with yeah and what but but i have to add a caveat to that because mm-hmm. when you start to to use these huge categories like white black asian etc you you kind of miss out on the various divisions within those larger groups yeah. so in in no way am i ignoring that Okay. okay. But this, okay. Is, this, is a, this is an understanding of large-scale patterns of outcomes. It's not necessarily a focus on individual people.
1: Okay, okay. That's, that's a, a reasonable thing to say. And it's reasonable to look at things in a very granular level. And it's reasonable to look at, as you say, large-scale patterns. Mm-hmm. Would you agree that it's important to be clear on which you're looking at?
2: Out of those two, you mean? Yes. The patterns or the micro... Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I guess if you started reading this about this subject, you'd find that there are some kind of theoretical things that talk about large-scale patterns. There are some ethnographies and lots of interview-based work which talks about how individual people make sense of their identities. Mm-hmm. And the the hard thing is always for social scientists to link those things together. Otherwise, you end up with um, lots of really interesting details about individuals that don't link into the, the bigger picture, or you just have a bigger picture with no grains in it, with no people. So I've given you um, a, a definition that's about the, the kind of the overview, mm-hmm. but in order to understand how that works for real people in real situations, you also have to juggle the, the, the more micro-level studies.
1: Okay, what I want to do then is I want to go to a quote actually from that programme that you participated in as well. Sure. There was also a professor from the United States, a woman by the name of Robin D'Angelo, And yep. when she was asked for a definition, this is what she said. But what, what does it actually mean, the word whiteness?
0: So whiteness is a kind of way of being that ultimately supports and props up white supremacy. Now, I know that that's a very charged term. So let me say something about the term white supremacy. Traditionally, we think about that as, you know, somebody in a white hood. But it's actually a highly descriptive sociological term for the society we're all in.
1: And what Robin D'Angelo there was saying was that first of all, she jumped straight from being asked for a definition of whiteness to associating with white supremacy, which has very Mm -hmm. specific connotations. And then she went and said that actually those specific connotations aren't correct. Everyone who's white is, Mm. and it sounded to me like she was saying, everyone who's white is a white supremacist this the reason i asked you about moving from mm. the general to the particular and back was there seems to me to be some gaping logical fallacies in this uh, in this discourse and one is jumping back and forward from the general to the specific to be able to essentially tar everyone that they don't like with the worst of the worst, and, and to say that uh, essentially anybody who's white is effectively a white supremacist.
2: That's not what I heard in that clip that you just played to me, and I'd be surprised if she said everyone who's white is a white supremacist. Um, I don't particularly well, use well, that well, term well, no, because she I did, don't think she did, it...
1: She, did. she specifically said that uh, whiteness equates to white supremacy and yeah. that white supremacy is not just people, as she said, in a hood. That was a clear reference to the Ku Klux Mm -hmm. Klan. She's she's drawing that uh, description much, much more broadly.
2: Yeah, so white supremacy is a shorthand term Mm -hmm. for the system that I just described to you. Yeah. Uh, Like a system that's set up so that the more advantageous outcomes come to the white group rather than to other groups in general. So for me, that's what white supremacy is. But it's, it, by, by using two words, it saves you going through 30. So, But that doesn't very well translate into a discussion for people who aren't used to using the term like that. So I, I can see why there's a, a, um, a stumbling block with that term.
1: Uh, okay. And then also on that BBC programme that you were on, there's a lot of talk about how white people need to analyze their own whiteness mm-hmm. that seems to me very very poorly defined jewish people have a, a phrase a uh, self-hating jew uh, I, whether that's a fallacy or not is a different thing but is that trying to promote essentially the same essentially the same uh, feeling
2: right so for me it's not about hating mm-hmm. it's about analyzing a system of power and mm-hmm. in the system of power by definition not so many people have power; otherwise, there would be a, a deadlock on every level of discrimination. Discrimination only functions it's power by definition. For some is groups. Scarce,
1: yeah,
2: yeah, right. So, if you're part of a system, it doesn't necessarily mean you're in a, in the part of the system that determines things. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I would say that if, if you. If you loosely divide up the categories of people, which we, which we do in order to generalize, mm-hmm. into racialized groups, groups that have ha- had racial labels attached to them, mm-hmm. if you do that, then within each group, there'll be people who have more or less power than others. So the idea of white supremacy is that in the white group, the, the people who determine the big important things that happen in, in society and the economy and politics are primarily white people. And they uh, have a, a, a control of a system that produces generally, and not in every case, but generally, more advantageous outcomes for other white people than relative to people who are not racialized as white. Yeah,
1: that seems obviously true. Right, so that's, that's what that's it written is for me.
2: But, you, but you've asked me about the, the self-hating Jew thing, and I want to really... Um, say that this isn't about hating yourself as a, as a white researcher. This is about identifying patterns of power and advantage and being able to understand them. So when people say white people should examine their whiteness, what it is is trying to understand how that plays out, how your advantage in some cases plays out. People don't have advantage across the board, but they have a advantage in places that maybe that they haven't thought of before. And when I've done this t- type of exercise in the club, In the classroom, people do come to conclusions about how advantage works and doesn't work. And, for example, people who don't go through particular experiences don't know that those experiences exist. So they imagine that they are on the Selma level playing field with other people. But when they hear other people talking about the kind of things that they experience on a daily basis, they think, actually, I didn't know about that. And I realized that because I don't have to go through it, that is an advantage in certain context. Mm. So it's not about, hey, it's about recognizing and identifying social structures. Which is what and, we and, and, of, and there's no question,
1: is. Steve, there's no question that in many Western societies, being white strongly correlates with many of those advantages.
2: Yes, it does. But
1: hold on, hold on, hold on Steve. A sure. strong correlation is only that. And there are abundant particular examples where you can Mm -hmm. find white individuals who have dramatically less power than particular black individuals. And that tends to then focus the Study, focus the attention on the color of somebody's skin and not mm-hmm. on the power relations. That, that seems to me to be uh, not... When you so- say power relations
2: in that relation, you're talking about socioeconomic relations, are you? Uh, yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah, okay. so, so, for so,
1: example, for example, for example, uh, black women in the United States are generally quite a lot less powerful than white men. But if the black mm-hmm. woman is Malia Obama and the white man is is a 45-year-old coal miner who dropped out of high school and is now sick and is losing his health insurance. That is not necessarily the typical example, but those examples abound. And it seems misplaced to me to be lecturing to people like that that they need to be examining the way in which they are uh, using their whiteness against somebody who's not white.
2: Okay, so that's, that's a very clear and good example to give. And it's obviously clear that in the, in the States, for example, there are more white Americans living under the poverty line than there are other, other groups. But it's a, a smaller percentage of white Americans live under the poverty line. Yes, they're the, the, the percentage largest number, is but they're
1: underrepresented. That's,
2: yeah, easy that's the thing to understand. So, yes, okay, so that, that's, the, that's the big picture thing. So this is what I was saying at the beginning. That for, for me, the, the paradigm of whiteness is driven by these large-scale um, patterns. So it doesn't discount the idea that individual people can do better or worse than others. That's not the point of it. Mm-hmm. The point is that once you start to, to understand the, the broader patterns, then you have to think about how is it that that example comes about that you just gave me mm-hmm. because those are those run counter to the major patterns i think we can agree that
1: i'm not sure that you what you're talking about is a real thing that a pattern a sub pattern shall we say that runs counter mm-hmm. to the main pattern just proves that the main pattern is oh, I didn't more say it complex proves it. i said it's something no, that you I'm have to understand prove, i'm saying that it proves that it may, that the main pattern is more complex than you might like to think
2: right but I do like to think it, and if you've read my books, I, I'm all about that. I'm all about the complexity of it, mm-hmm. and I'm not, I'm not claiming that it's a simple one-way thing. What I'm saying is that the overall patterns say one thing, and we have to understand how those outcomes happen. Sure. So your example of the of the coal miner. Yes. Okay. So we think about that, that person um, and Malia Obama also. We think about her you also have to think about the other like intersecting things right at the beginning you were talking about what i put in my biography which mm-hmm. is i'm interested in the intersections of people's identities so on these different parts of people's identity no one is just a, a man or just a woman or just white or just black etc you've got multiple sets of identifiers right and mm-hmm. on each of the the axes of power you're you're in a different place so that minor for example although because he's in the white group he's somewhere at the top end of the spectrum in terms of race he's also somewhere near the bottom end in terms of socio- socio-economic status or, or class or whatever you want to call that mm-hmm. right so you're you're on different axes of relative power and relative lack of power
1: mm-hmm.
2: right so what I'm trying to do with whiteness is understand the particular outcomes that come out of racialized difference. There's another set of pictures that you could put forward, like the one you just said, to do with socioeconomic distinction. Mm-hmm. And there's another one about gender, et cetera. We could come up with all of these different axes. If you put all of those things together, you find other patterns, mm-hmm. right? But in the discussion we're having, we're, we're starting off with the one which is about whiteness and race. Mm -hmm. And we can't we can't cover all of these other equally interesting social discrimination things. And what because people have different positions within social structures on one level to do with class, which is the one that you're talking about there, it doesn't mean that it cancels out all of the other things. They are simultaneously valid. So that's my point. Back to you. It's not to say that your example is wrong and mine is right. I say these are both right and they need to be understood and they don't invalidate one another.
1: I'm interested in the increasing complexity of this and the increasing complexity needed to explain this. And I'm reminded of when it was believed that the Earth was the centre of the universe and that all the planets Uh and the sun orbited the Earth. And as the telescope was discovered, increasingly complicated explanations about the planets going backwards and forwards Mm -hmm. were created in order to maintain that. It seems a little bit to me that what you're saying is a bit like that, Steve, that when the main thrust of of the theory is observably incorrect, you're just adding layers of complexity to try and explain away those obvious errors.
2: Well, I wouldn't say they're errors. How are they errors? Well, inconsistencies
1: with what we can, with what we observe
2: reality. I don't consider them as inconsistencies. I consider them, this is the complexity of studying social science. If you Mm -hmm. can get someone else on who can explain one of these other um, discrimination axes um, in a very clear way that in w- where there is no blurred edges or anything complex about it I will honestly take my hat off to them because I think this is exactly what social science is about and it's very rare that you get to identify a pattern where I could just say here's the definition two lines mm-hmm. and you could say oh that's really clear what are we going to talk about for the other 29 minutes of our discussion. That's not how it works in my experience. And complexity doesn't mean that uh, a thing is wrong. It means that you're always trying to think about how to make it more accurate. And when you do that, you let complexity into it.
1: Okay, let me go on to one other thing then. We talked there about how people of uh, different races may or may not be in a more powerful position and Mm -hmm. how power coincides with that. And I'm interested more in the real world effects of that, because I talked about going from the general to the particular. And we do see, particularly in the universities, I know you work in a university, people moving from this general thrust, which is undoubtedly true that white people have a disproportionate amount of wealth and power down to a very, very granular level. And you see in universities people who are the wrong colour or whatever, being told that they're not allowed to speak, not allowed to attend particular lectures, not allowed even to have an opinion in some cases. And that's not an entire group. That's actual particular individuals. Where uh, where the people doing that lecturing quite possibly have no idea of what their background is... This does seem to be an excuse for bad behaviour sometimes, isn't it?
2: Well, you're painting a picture that I don't recognise at all of UK universities where I've worked. And I'm not really sure, unless you can give me specifics about what you're talking about there. That sounds like the a, a kind of thing you'd see on a on a website where people are complaining about freedom of speech.
1: In looking at where this vocabulary is used, a very significant proportion of it, certainly disproportionately so, is being Mm. used essentially to tell people not to express an opinion. It's difficult actually to find any forums that discuss this in any Mm. other
2: context. Right. Well, if that's what you found by doing research, then that's what you found. But like I said, it's not really an important thing for me particularly to, to engage with. I have difficulty, as you've just noticed already, just looking at the paradigm that I'm interested in. I'm not going into the, the social media side, but I would say mm-hmm. that if, and um, to stay consistent with what I've been talking about, the really important things I would say are to do with the, the outcomes of these power structures, to do with educational chances, health chances, employment chances, etc., etc., et cetera, et cetera mm-hmm. which seem to be more important than People squabbling on social media. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would throw back to you. Are you saying that those, that the, they could be um, lack of civility issues? Um, I'm, I'm happy to go along with that if that's what you say. You've seen, you've seen it. Mm-hmm. Are you are you saying that that's a more important issue than these long standing and very well documented social? Discrimination outcomes. No, for not, groups. not, 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 Well,
1: well the, the specific answer to that is, question is, 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 is no, I'm not. But this particular discourse seems to me to be uh, problematic because mm-hmm. it, in some cases, blurs a discussion and mm-hmm. Then uses that blurring uh, to blame people and to to express hostility towards people for, for particular wrongs when those people who are on the receiving end of that hostility are clearly not the correct targets.
2: Mm. Well, this is this part of this is this confusion again between trying to understand something as a system and looking at individuals and blaming individuals. So this is not about blaming individuals, as I've already stated. So I think that, that what, what you're pointing at is a real thing, right? Mm-hmm. People people are, are interpreting and engaging in this kind of discussion. I think personally that that is in a way missing the point. And the point for me is those bigger things that I just talked to you about. Okay. So What, what, I, what, I, I, what I want to
1: do then is I want to listen to one other short clip from that analysis program that you were on.
2: Whiteness studies proponents see anti-Irish or anti-Polish sentiment as evidence of the fluidity of whiteness. Groups can become white over time. In fact, stay with this, a black or brown person can display whiteness.
1: And the reality there is, isn't it, that if the term is so fluid, it becomes meaningless?
2: It could do with having some subdivisions in it rather than one term. Because whiteness already, like, you know, if you look at the beginning of my book, I've got at least five different definitions of it. But I I can see why you want to to focus on that one. That's a really good example for us to to get our teeth into. Do you Mm -hmm. want me to explain the background to that one?
1: Uh, Absolutely.
2: Okay. So, right. So, um, different ways of understanding race. At one end of the spectrum, you have the idea that the human race is split up into racial groups with boundaries around them.
1: Yeah, and this, this is a social rather than a biological thing. Yeah, so the one that I'm talking about is the
2: biological one. And then as you've, as you've indicated, as you move along the other end of the spectrum, you move to the idea that racial identities are social and not biological. Uh-huh. And so the, what um, Neil, who did that programme, is talking about there is the, the part where we've moved to the, the idea that groups can be characterised as racial groups,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: even if they are nominally part of a much bigger racial group. So the two examples there, um, the Irish and Polish migrants into the UK since the 19th century are the ones that are quite typically put forward as um, examples of how groups which are nominally white get moved into a a subcategory where they are clearly distinguished from the mainstream and they have characteristics assigned to them to make them different from that mainstream white group. So that's what that means.
1: Tell me what you understand by cultural appropriation.
2: Cultural appropriation. Okay, so cultural appropriation is to do with identifying with and adopting elements of culture and not um, acknowledging the, the way that you got hold of the culture, and quite often taking it out of a a context and doing something different with it.
1: The phrase seems to me to be thrown around as... Anyone, for example, uh, there was a particular controversy in one university in the US whereby certain students demanded the sacking of a particular particular staff member who had suggested that students who wore Mexican-style sombreros on Halloween were not as blameworthy as the people who demanded her sacking uh, might have said. Uh, somebody wearing a Mexican sombrero uh, on Halloween or some other party are they being racist in an unacceptable way?
2: Probably wearing wearing people like Native American kit or Mexican outfits or blacking up or whatever. All of this is, um, all of that is racist because it, it what it what it does is puts those people's culture into a like a a, a theatrical mode when. Mm-hmm in the In the overall patterns around in society, these are disadvantaged groups. So it's inhabiting the the culture and physical appearance of a disadvantaged group to, for entertainment purposes, and it makes the people who are actually in those groups feel um disrespected.
1: So, so would you think that wearing cod leprechaun hats with uh, orange hair coming out and uh, so forth on St. Patrick's Day in New York is racist?
2: Well, I don't think so. Why not? Because it doesn't fit into the what I've just said there. Are, the, are Irish Americans now a disadvantaged minority group?
1: Uh, they certainly were for a, lo- for a very long time. They were for a long and time, and for, yeah, but and, and, we're talking uh, about
2: now. If you if you say was that racist when it was when clear that Irish Chinese. Americans were yeah well that's a different thing if you're talking about now then it's a different thing so this this is part of the of the idea of whiteness that people people can move categories of people can move from along the at the axes of power to get into a more powerful position and okay. I'm not sure that, that that Irish Americans are now in that disadvantaged position that they were.
1: Before. So that made it stop being racist. Independent well, if, the, the behavior. If your definition, I, I, no, no, hold on for a second. What you're saying is that occurrences, happenings, completely independent of the behavior, changed whether the behavior was racist or racist or not.
2: If your definition of racist is that it's to do with power relations, well, I'm asking
1: for your de- definition.
2: Yeah, that is my definition, okay. and okay. It's, also, so, it's also in the books. So you can't have racism without a big discrepancy of power relations and so if a group that if if you can't say that there's a, a a disadvantaged group that are being picked on it's harder to say that that's racist you could say it's prejudice which is a different thing but racism is all about power relations as far as i understand it japan
1: is a deeply racist society if you're a white person in japan you will suffer uh, you will suffer very significant discrimination so i'm right. wondering does the same behavior by a different group in the same... And I accept the context that you're saying that, you know, if somebody is coming at a a particular behavior from a position of power over a less powerful group, then that clearly changes the context. I'm not disputing that. But somebody who is, for example, a white person who lives in Japan or even a mixed-race person who lives in Japan will experience Mm -hmm. very significant racism. The subtext to this is there is an accusation particularly on the far right which I don't particularly accept but there's an accusation that this is just a get-up to blame white people for everything and I want to gather evidence that that's not the case and I'm wondering would you accept that a Japanese person wearing a suit or playing a piano or wearing a tuxedo or whatever fits into the same category?
2: As as the
1: uh, versions as, you just gave me
2: before, or, or let's in, say, uh, for, let's, for, let's
1: say for example, as uh, Casey Perry wearing a komodo.
2: Yeah, mm. yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, I would think that. Yeah, let's think. Okay, so the, the, the Japanese performance of North American or European whiteness in Japan mm-hmm. is is discussable, definitely. Because of the of the background that you've outlined there, mm-hmm. it's possible. Um, yeah, um, Katy Perry. Yeah, certainly discussable. I think you we're moving into an area that that's less well defined. But these are the, if you apply the same oh boy, logic, I think then, long, then we have
1: we, we've, we've been uh, we've been ploughing into that territory for for quite some time of un, poorly defined territory. And what I'm trying right. to do is so, uh, hang on. I'm not are trying you to attack this soul?
2: whole paradigm. Is, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm enjoying the. the the robustness of it I just want to I just feel like I'm getting further and further away from my expertise Sure
1: sure. I I understand that I understand that but what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to test whether there is a consistency to what's being said Mm. and Katy Perry suffered actually significant career damage because Mm. she dressed up in a Komodo I think that most Japanese and I know a couple of Japanese people I think that most Japanese people didn't feel in the least bit offended by that mm-hmm. in the way that most white Western people would not be in the least bit offended. I certainly wouldn't if a Japanese person wore a uh, tuxedo or a suit and played a piano and so forth. And mm-hmm. I think that there is a tendency to attempt to create an ever-shifting set of rules which allows some people who enjoy wagging their fingers and criticising people people to constantly show how clever they are compared to everyone else. right? And, and I think that that is hypocrisy, that there is hypocrisy in that. And that's why I'm asking the question. I'm just putting right. the shoe on the okay. other foot. Well, well, right. And I think that's a valid question.
2: hmm Okay. Well, I mean, these are kind of... The, the Japanese one, mm-hmm. I'm sure you could find better examples that would be more clearly to do with power relations and, and race. Um, the Katy Perry one, yeah. M- maybe some Japanese people didn't feel at all offended by that. But, but but my argument all the time, and I know I'm going to be boring, is that these are, are, are minor things down one end of the spectrum that people like to talk about, which are, like, okay for, for discussion purposes. Mm-hmm. This is what we're doing. But it's it's a long way away from what I think the thrust of this paradigm is. So if by saying that we are not defining something clearly enough or that there are counterexamples or there are other things attached to it that, that don't seem very clearly defined, you're saying the entire paradigm is not, I'm going to use the word valid because that's a, um academic word, something that's valid or not valid. Yeah. If you're going to say that, then I would strongly disagree with you and say that what I've been saying all the way through, that, that this is not... Um, a paradigm that, that really focuses on these smaller circumstances. And it's about big picture stuff.
1: Steve Garner, researcher in the Department of Social Science at Cardiff University. Thank you very much for talking to me.
2: Thank you for inviting me on your show, William. Bye.
0: Never miss a show. You can subscribe to the podcast for free using iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio or any other podcast software or app. See challengingopinions.com backslash subscribe for details.
1: Go to the website for sources and links to what we were talking about. And while you're there, please like the show on Facebook, follow at ChallengingO on Twitter, and follow Steve Garner at Steve Garner5. And get in touch with me if you can suggest a guest or a topic for a future show. Also, thanks to everyone who signed up as a patron on Patreon so far. I really appreciate you all helping me to devote more time to research and to getting new topics and new guests. And if you could do the same as them and donate a book or two per podcast or per month, go to patreon.com slash challengingopinions or you'll find that link on the website. Also, you can find out how to subscribe to the podcast for free on your computer, on your phone, or by email. It's all at www.challengingopinions.com. The Challenging Opinions podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. Happy New Year, and thank you for listening.